is uh, going to be here. We bow down before Bruce. We are not worthy. Bruce on Monday night won $15,000 because he's a fantastic critic and reviewer. Well, we already knew that because we uh, chat to him about that every single Wednesday. Today he's talking about the Beatles Anthology 3. Now, I don't know what your own personal ambitions are, but I wonder if you'd quite like to be a saint one day. And if you could be a saint, what would you like to be the patron saint of? How difficult is it to become a saint anyway? If I was a horse, I'd like to be Saint Lee, I know that. Carol Cusack is here with us five days after All Saints Day to shed some light on all of this for us. Hello, Carol. Hi, Elizabeth. Did you bet on Saint Lee yesterday? I'm afraid I missed the cup entirely. I, I had to ring my sister at about 11 o'clock last night to find out who won. Carol, where were you? Uh, working, Out of I the think. country or <laughs> <laughs> no, is this possible? <laughs> it's essay marking time. Oh, you really are an academic type. And you had your head buried in a book right through the whole afternoon. Because we had planned to talk about saints ages ago, and then I, I didn't even think to bet on saintly yesterday. Silly us. How does one become a saint? Well, that depends. Um, it's been different over different historical times, and it's different in the sense that, in, ca in the case of the Roman Catholic Church, they've got a definite procedure whereby you get investigated, um, you are attributed with the ability to perform miracles. There is a process whereby the Vatican says first you, you are... become an almost saint. Yeah, beatified. <laughs> yes. And then you become like Mary MacKillop, where, as you probably know, she can be prayed to as a saint on Australian soil, but not elsewhere. Oh, I didn't realise. I knew she was blessed. stage. Right. And they're still hanging out for another miracle or two, and then she has a fairly good chance of actually making it, considering our current Pope is very keen on making A very enthusiastic saint, saint maker. Oh, running around canonising every Tom, Dick and Harriet. <laughs> oh, I think, uh, surely that's a slight exaggeration. I mean, I know he's made a lot of saints. More than 200. Isn't it? <laughs> but isn't he concentrating on places that don't have very many saints? So isn't it sort of a bit fair that, uh, you know, all these third world countries and Australia <laughs> are getting their own saints? I think so. In fact, I was looking at my Oxford Dictionary of Saints today because of thinking who was the patron saint of to uh, whose feast day was it today? And I realised that that book is compiled... First with all English saints, then all foreign saints who worked or died in England, and then all other saints who have significant cults, i.e. church dedications in England. And so you get an incredibly skewed picture yes. of but the saints. Not because that they're skewed, really, because an awful lot of saints are Celtic saints, aren't they? Well, indeed. Scotland, Cornwall, Ireland, Wales have a really terrific If you haven't set. got a saint in your family tree somewhere, you'd be losing out if you came from those well, places. Well, exactly. You might, you might feel that it was sort of ancestrally you were entitled to. At least four of our saints for today, with um, today as their feast day, have Celtic links. How many... Are there any days that don't have any saints as a feast day? I'd be very, very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better quickly tell us how a Protestant becomes a saint. Well, I don't think that it has the same kind of conception. Those Protestant churches that you might describe as being... Um, reasonably moderate, and I suppose the Anglican Church is the most obvious example, after the Reformation retained the cult of the saints because they actually thought that it was fairly helpful for people. And indeed Luther was once said, once said when he saw people smashing up saint statues and relics that um, men could go with drink and women, so what are we to do? Ban what is it? Ban, drink and abolish women? No, I don't, don't see that this actually helps anything. So he thought that the saint cult, which of course was so big in medieval Catholicism, probably wasn't 100% helpful, but he didn't see any reason to destroy it. And so you find in Anglicanism, 
and Lutheranism, a more moderate Protestant attitude, and they still have churches dedicated to saints. You know, Anglican churches are often St Alban and St Aidan, the church, the saints who worked in England. But hardline Protestantism, what you might call, you know, real reformed or non-conformist denominations, don't actually have saints at all. And for their churches, anybody, any Christian, is a saint. And if you look at the New Testament, there is some authority for that because when St Paul writes, you know, to the church in Corinth or to the church in, you know, wherever, he says to all the saints at Corinth, and all he means is to the communion, the community of Christians. Now I'm sure my mother is fantastic at saints. I must get on the phone and start quizzing it. But I'm sure she's told me about this patron saint of marriage or wives or something, and what this woman did was never refuse her husband. <laughs> I do not tell a lie. I don't actually know who that is, but actually an awful, a, a very large number of medieval women saints would probably have been in that category. Well, as you said, there's quite a few um, feast saint days for today, November 6th, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and what a collection of names. They, they all look like they're from deep in the heart of Wales. Is that true? Some of them are. St Winnock and St Ilted, who are both celebrated on this day, are both Welsh. St Mullane is one of the patron saints of Cornwall, though he actually came from Brittany. St Leonard was actually a Frank, and so I suppose he's a sort of late Roman, early medieval occupant of France. So there's a sort of range of, of connections there. The thing that's interesting about them is that we've scored a day where they're all men, so we haven't actually got a, a woman for today. Do we know what any of them did? Yeah, we know a bit about them. Some of them are not terribly historical or terribly well um um, kind of justified. Usually they have entries in the, in the Saints Dictionary saying probably historical but not clear. St Iltud died sometime in the 6th century and was a monastic saint so he's chiefly um, famous for having founded a monastery at a place called Landwit for Landwit Major and uh, there is actually a couple of references to him in a couple of historical documents. Um, He's supposed to have been a disciple of a fellow called Saint Germanus of Ozea, who was a French saint at the same time. Um, St Ilted's pretty popular in Wales. Uh, he's one of the saints that they're uncommonly uh, keen on and, and kind of proud of. Um, he's supposed to have protected the people of Wales against invasions and various, um, I suppose, colonial advances by the English in particular and crosses in particular and banners that were carried into the battle in the Middle Ages often had his name and his dedication on as a sort of protector saint which is quite interesting. The other Welsh saint for today, St Winnock, is a good deal more um, obscure and not so interesting. Um, again however um, monastic saint, a Welsh monk who actually travelled to Cornwall and Celtic saints in this particular period, this early medieval period, you often find them in a different country. So St Winnock being Welsh but going to Cornwall is quite normal because they had a notion that to be a pilgrim, to, to leave your home, was a special way of dedicating yourself to God because then you went away from your family and all your sentimental associations and you didn't have anybody then to love or to depend upon except God. So St Winnock headed off um, into Cornwall where he's commem commemorated as St Winnow. The church dedications there are usually called St Winnow. Um, similarly, St Mullane is in the same category. He was from Brittany, so he's another Celtic saint, but he's associated with Cornwall and with travelling again and with exile. How do you become a patron saint? How does that happen? Well, 
Patron of what? I suppose is the most important thing. Well, hopeless causes. <laughs> Saint Jude, <laughs> Saint Jude, my favourite. Help of the hopeless. Have you seen those ads in the paper? Occasionally, someone obviously has been praying to Saint Jude about their hopeless cause, and uh, you know their wish. Well, I suppose you shouldn't call it a wish. Whatever they're praying for has happened, and then they have to take out a little ad. To tell everybody about it? Yes. No, I haven't actually seen them, but I'd be very interested. I have a, a first-year student I'm rather fond of who wears a St Jude medal around her neck. Though when I asked her, was she a Catholic, she, she denied it hotly. She just said, no, no, I'm no, not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I'm just I just hopeless. believe in hopeless causes, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I think is cute. Well, the one way in which you become a patron saint is that a lot of saints are associated with where they're buried. And that's how it all started in the very early Christian centuries, because the the very holy, the people who'd walked with God all their lives, what do you do with them when they're dead? Well, you put them somewhere in a tomb, like say, for example, St. Martin of Tours is one of the earliest saints. He died in the 390s. He was buried in the city of Tours in France. Um, became a pilgrimage site. People used to come to his tomb. They'd pray, they'd weep, they'd say, dear saint, we really need you know, your assistance. And that gives rise also to the, the cult of relics. Because once you've got a body, you know, you, this is a mm. physical relic of the saint's existence. And in the high Middle Ages, the um, Christian church was often quite opportunistic and used to do things like break the body up, you know, and you'd find an arm of a saint somewhere and a leg and a head. Because then you could kind of spread the holiness out all the way across the geography. And when a saint is the patron, for example, St Martin at Tours is a good, is a good one, uh, there are more and more and more children who are called Martin and Martine in that town than anywhere else because the people are seeking the the um, protection of the saint and kind of you get you take things over. And when you say, well, how do you become a patron saint of a particular illness? Let's think about a saint like Saint Tilo, T-E-I-L-O from, Wale from Wales. Um, his well, which is a special holy well where he's buried, it cures whooping cough. It doesn't cure anything else as far as we can tell from the sources. So he's actually the patron saint of, of whooping... Of cures of whooping cough. Uh-huh, right. It's, uh, it's a funny world, the world of saints, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun with this. You're coming back very soon to keep talking about saints, aren't yes. you? Thanks very much, Carol Cusack, who is a history lecturer at Sydney University. And we'd like you to join in our saintly chats. We want you to make up a saint, make up a patron saint, make up a name, a bit of a background, how they became the patron saint of whatever you've chosen. Just have to write it all down for us in, well, say 100 words or less. If you want to add drawings, pictures, illustrations, go right ahead. Whatever you think, but uh, about 100 words or less, please. Write it all down and send it to me here at 2BL, GPO Box 994 Sydney. That's uh, 994 Sydney, and we'll find something nice for you in our Christmas stocking. Probably something from the ABC shop, I think. 17 past two, and...